still cold. It's still very cold in London town. I'd say um, just above freezing. Mala in Brownswood. This could be the final podcast in Brownswood. Is that right? Yeah, it could be. But I don't know. I think they might have pulled out. The buyers might have pulled out, which could be a good thing. You were going to be the final one, but I don't think so. It's a real pleasure to have you here and you. Uh, come all the way from uh, South Norwood. Yep, yep. And uh, we were saying, actually, that is uh, pure pirate territory, isn't it? It's got its history for sure, yeah. 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 Still see people coming around these corners with aerials and transmitters <laughs> and old bull searching. <laughs> yeah, I had some good times there. In fact, I remember one time we were on the radio, we had a station called K-Jazz, and uh, I think it was LWR we were really at their peak at that time. And okay. I remember we got busted, and our studio was just down the hill from uh-huh. um, Crystal Palace. It was with a guy called Chris Phillips and Jez Nelson, a bunch of other people. And I remember we quickly ran up. But when we went off the air, we ran up from our studio really fast to try and catch, you know, get, get, the, get the transmitter just to find out what was going on. And we went up to the top of the building. Well, I, I didn't actually. I'm trying to take the credit for being there. I wasn't. I was, I was a coward staying in the studio. And, uh, and uh, we were being busted by another pirate. Oh, you're joking. Yeah, that's what it got to that point. When pirates are busting pirates, and that's when we pulled out. Yeah. Like we're not, we're not getting ghetto <laughs> enough for that. Um, so, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah? yeah, yeah, good. Rested over the new year, you know. And um, yeah, 2010 to me. I look at the date and I say it, and I swear I should be like on my hoverboard in that right now. It really feels like and sounds like the future. Yeah. But you know, I'm, I'm, I feel good this year. Yeah. yeah it's mad, isn't it? Because even when it got to 2000. And that was only yesterday. Really? This decade's flown past, really. Yes. Madness. It's such a good pleasure to be have in your company. Um, we're going to play a few tunes, right? And yeah. uh, get into the Mala vibe and uh, just get ourselves into this. And the first track you just played, straight off an acetate. I've got to repeat that. An acetate hasn't been played on this turntable for a few years now. Is that right? I don't think, I mean, I don't even think, I haven't cut anything for, mm. for a long time. I've been lazy. But anyway, proper acetate, um, old school, 30 pounds, 40 pounds. How much is it costing these days for us? Yeah, it's, it's, it's in them territories there, you know, a dub. Mm. Yeah, you're looking at, you're looking at the... Smells good. Yeah, I always like that smell. Oh, I remember the first time when I went and cut dub, you know. And I used to, before I was actually playing, when Hatcher was just playing my tunes, I would go and cut some of my tunes for Hatcher and that's when I really got kind of like uh, addicted to, to cutting dubs mm. just the whole process of it and uh, yeah the smell is something that never leaves you as well when you've got a fresh acetate in your hand yeah. so yeah I'm still addicted to to going down to transition and cutting my dubs yeah the only thing about it of course is when you get on an aeroplane right and your box weighs a little bit over what is, what's the limit <laughs> the, the limit's 20 yeah <laughs> on most planes I actually carry always hand luggage yeah. like in that in that rucksack there yeah. because often or not they just think it's a rucksack full of you know a laptop and maybe a couple of snacks for the plane um, but yeah, it generally weighs 24, 25. Yeah. And I've carried that around the world. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, now that that guy got done in re- in Detroit the other yeah, day, yeah. they say no hand luggage. Is that right? What, going to the, goes just going into the States? Or? I don't know. I hope it doesn't go beyond. It's only one piece as well. Maybe no piece. But I know it was two pieces if you were <laughs> lucky, but depends what country you're in. Mala, nice.
so you've tested it out over the last three years, right? This yeah, track, yeah, this track, living different, right? And uh, it's finally going to be coming out. It is very soon, yeah. Good, it's strong. Um, tell me a little bit about the the beginnings of, of of you actually before before you came in and uh, and and did the Debbie um, the the Medi record label Deep Medi. What, what where did you um, come in on the musical front? Because you were a footballer originally, and it all went a bit knees yeah, up. Yeah, went a bit knees up. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, I played football at yeah. Millwall for for six seven years, um, but got into music maybe kind of like ninety one ninety two really, just all the old hardcore and jungle stuff. Um, Living that, in South London. Yeah, that's, you know, you used to hear everything firsthand on the Pirates, but just that slightly too young where you weren't really old enough to go to the raves yet. Mm. Um, and I started experimenting with music, I would say, kind of uh, when I started college in about, two, uh, about 97, 98. Um, and back then I was just trying to recreate what I loved in, in Jungle. And that just carried on developing, developing. And then it got to about 2002. Um, and both me and Koki decided to take making music a little bit more seriously in the sense that we just thought we'd invest in getting like a little desk, um, get some decent studio monitors because we were making music all the time, just on the, you know, kind of like the Sony Hi-Fi or whatever. And um, through, through that and through giving, you know, the record shops that used to go on in, uh, used to be in Croydon, you had like Wax City Records we used to go to and you had Big Apple as well. And we used to go down Big Apple a lot and Hatch used to work there. So we just gave Hatch our, some of our tunes because I knew him from back in the garage days. And um, he just started playing a couple of our tunes like to our surprise. And then because of the reaction they got, it just kind of made us give him more tunes because it's not like we just had one or two tunes. L literally overnight from nothing being heard of Digital Mystics, half of Hatch's set was Digital Mystics, Screen Benger and artwork and horsepower. So... Um, at that time as well, um, we weren't really interested in kind of trying to force or push our music on anybody. We certainly didn't want a record deal with with kind of any majors or anything. And that's really uh, with our friend Lofar. We just decided to start the DMZ label, really, just to put out our music ourselves. Um, when I was that age, and I guess even so now, I was always worried about being misrepresented when other people get involved in pushing something which you're about if they don't fully understand where you're coming from then they're going to misrepresent you and I felt a few years back with an experience that I had I was misrepresented by a label and this kind of gave me the fire just to do my own thing really and um, you know as you do you press your first 500 whites or whatever and over a period of time we sold them and everything just like kind of followed on the domino effect from there really and it's kind of funny because I remember going into like places like Soldiers and that without early releases. And, you know, when only thinks, I guess, in its infancy, it takes a while for people's heads to kind of get round the grooves and the vibe. So, you know, it took a, it took a, a, a long while of sticking at what we were doing and, you know, just playing in small dark rooms on big sound systems. And for us, that was, that was everything. We didn't re really need anything else. Um, but the fact that it's, you know, developed into what it has today and you're able to travel and meet people and share what it is you do on a personal level in, you know, little South Norwood with, you know, people in Japan, in, in, in uh, you know, New Zealand or Iceland or Russia, wherever, you know, it's a, it's been a blessing and it's been, a you know, an amazing experience. So. Let's play some more tunes. Um, this is uh, another one on another dub plate. Um, this is called Education. Education. 
Hi, and I, son of the most, I, Ja Rastafari. Our art shall correspond and beat it in one harmony. Sounds from the burning spear. And them scientists He has prepared his throne for judgment 
enjoying it. It's all good. It's great to hear a little bit of uh, a little bit of Augustus Pablo. Always, always. Yeah. Um, East of the River Nile. Um, I don't know if that is actually that is East of the River Nile, wasn't it? That was yeah. the track. Um, but it's just a wonderful album all round. Um, so yeah, where were we? Basically, we were talking about um, the beginnings and uh, and and where you came into. But I was kind of keen because the first time I heard you playing out was um, at Mass mm-hmm. at the um, the bi-monthly night that you do there, um, which is called DMZ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me a little bit about how that's going, how that started, and is it is the, is this is it the church? I mean, it's called Mass. <laughs> Listen, it started off at Third Base, yeah, which was Third the little base, building yeah. right in the corner, mm. which was still part of St Matthew's Church, yeah, um, but the capacity was maybe four hundred people. Um, back when we started doing this, when everyone was still, um, when it was only really a small handful of people playing mm. this sound. We really, like myself, Koki Loaf, we kind of got addicted to hearing our music getting played on loud sound systems. Um, and I guess the only night that was doing that was Forward back then at Plastic People. Um, was Forward before? Forward was before, yeah. And um, that's where our stuff first got right. played. And, you know, to hear your music get played first off in a place like Plastic People, you know, you kind of get sport for sound, oh, really. I remember that because, I mean, you know, that in a way that takes, you know, apart from anything else, that whole scene, it became a place where everyone could be motivated by the, the sound. So Definitely. it was a really big catalyst place Definitely. for the movement. You know, it was really important for learning your production because yeah. you would, you'd be really exposed in a place like that to what your production was saying. Yeah. Um, it was actually, yeah, I remember it was uh, Ade from Plastic People yeah. who told me, who actually played me, because um, I used to do Saturday nights with him every now and again, and he'd play out of the blue in between his sort of obscure African tracks yeah. and sort of modal chorus tracks choir tracks he'd play a screen track you know and it was like he really was the first person who I heard play that sound in the context of what I was doing okay if you know what I mean you know so whereas you have your first moment of experience where you hear drum and bass played in that context that Uh was he was definitely the one who he was, uh, and of course, because he was hearing it every week in his club. Every week, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was an important time and we just got addicted to to that and an opportunity come up for us to put on our own event. And we were all South Londoners. So when we found that the Brixton place was available, 15 minutes from us, it made perfect sense. And it was a Saturday night. And back mm. then there was no Saturday night thing going on. Mm. And I think that's when Ford was still on the Thursday. Um, yeah, and it was really, we went down, checked out the venue, loved the spot, felt right, paid the deposit there, and then um, we went back again with Koki on Friday, because uh, we originally went on the Wednesday, so yeah, we went back on the Friday, definitely went ahead with it, it was in a month's time, the rave, we went back to Loafers that night, made up the flyer on the internet, um, and then we finished the flyer and he was like oh they need something else on the flyer what do we need on the flyer because we didn't want to put like dubstep or we didn't want to describe what the music was we really wanted just the, the names of the people playing and for people to come down and, and discover because for me that's what I think maybe a few years ago what this sound was doing was allowing people to explore and discover a new sound for themselves rather it being pushed upon people um, and yeah we just uh I come up with a slogan, meditate on bass weight, because that's kind of like what we done when I was writing tunes. It would be a, like a meditation. And obviously it was bass heavy. And then 
it just all come together from that, you know, 250 people turned up at the first dance and then the one afterwards they brought their friends and, you know, within a year we had, we had um, over a thousand people at our first birthday bash where we had to actually close that small room down at midnight and sell everyone. There's still 500 people outside, do you mind if we go upstairs and, and use the big room? And, we, we never went back to the smaller room since. And unfortunately, something's left in that small little room, yeah. which I think all of us still feel we wish we could experience and go back and visit from time to time. But, you know. These things happen. I mean, do. you know, things move forwards. And, uh, and it's funny because I think we um, start off these scenes, this organic thing, which is obviously what was happening here. There comes a point where you lose a bit of control on the night. For sure. Have you lost that a little bit? I mean, can you completely play as naturally as you would have been able to play four or five years ago today? I think you can, but I think it takes certain discipline to do that. I think a lot of the time, unfortunately, like as humans, we are affected by what other people think of us and what other people write and say. So I think DMZ is still a spot where people can come down and play what they like. Um... I think actually playing in a smaller club makes one feel more confident rather than playing to, you know, a thousand or more people. Um, I still try and do it. I've got to, that's what keeps me going, you know.
guitar and playing a lot of... Was this a new one on Medi? It will, uh, maybe at some point this year, yeah. This is a exclusive dub uh, by Quest. It's called Smooth Skin. What would be your um, label roster right now? Who's who's on it? Who's consistent? Indeed, Medi. Yeah. You've got Quest. Yeah. You've got Silky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. forgot about that. You've got <laughs> all the way from Japan. You've got Gothtrad. Oh, yeah. We've got Calibre. Mm-hmm. Calibre, who was drum and bass, he still is, still is. That's your computer. That's that. He still is. Yeah. Um, hey, he made a great album last year. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard great. the new one, the, the, the Dominic Martin one? No. Have you heard his new one? No. He's got a new album out, just called Dominic Martin. Oh no, no, And it's no. it's all non, it's like non drum and bass stuff. Okay. Um, but it's really interesting. You should check that out. Um, I've signed a new guy called Vivek. Vivek. Miss Beats. Yeah, Miss Beats, love that. Uh, you got Hijack. Yeah. Uh, a guy called Tonnage. Um, you selling records? Yeah. Is it um, breaking even, turning over? Still managing to carry on. Businessable. Vinyl, CD? Vinyl. Vinyl? Vinyl, More still. than CDs? We don't sell no CDs. Silky's, CD. Silky's album is the first CD. Right. And, the and there's, a, is... there's a new compilation coming out, um, which is the first five releases okay. uh, on MIDI, which was... Uh, You've kept it vinyl all that time. All By that the time, way, still played, no digital as well. You, you know. played a Steve... Yes, I like that. I like the idea of that. I can't get my head around buying that. No, you played the Steve Rice track, and the funny thing was, um, the Steve Rice track you played mm-hmm. was, um, was, was on an acetate. So you, yes. cut, you cut old tracks onto Slate. That's yeah, next yeah, level I, one. <laughs> I've done it with a, quite a few tracks actually. Stuff that you know I can't get hold of on record because I do search for stuff. Yeah. Um, on vinyl, um, and if I can't get hold of it, then you know if I can find it on CD, yeah, I'll cut it to dub. You cut it to dub. Yeah. So, okay, why? Will it give you that extra twenty percent? Not necessarily, but I like it. Right. <laughs> so, and I like playing. I like playing my dubs. I love I it. I don't want to start off with a CD. Yeah. Okay. And um, <laughs> you tell me a good story because the first time you play, because you tend to start off with some interesting. You don't want to go into obvious that when you play your set. Yeah, I always start off with a, a, a non, one forty track, so to speak. And you played at the end. At my the first, first ever gig was in. 2004 and it was a Reflex Records party because we signed some stuff to Aphex Twins label back then it was like a part of a compilation with Code 9 and um, yeah we got asked to play at the end as I said to you earlier I, I was I was kind of you know cacking it because I'm, I'm totally deaf in my left ear so I was a little bit apprehensive about how it would work out for me playing on such a big sound system and to kind of calm my nerves I thought I'll play a track that you know kind of puts me in the right frame of mind um, and that was back then was Augustus Pablo would always put me on like a good meditation so I used to start my sets always with a, an Augustus Pablo track and then over the years I just got more and more experimental with my first tunes you know I just any track that I think people should hear you know there's a chance that I'm going to play it um, saying that you're left in one in your left ear how do you monitor how do you how do you listen and DJ at the same time so when you how do you do it with one ear and that sounds a bit weird Did you, is there a way of doing it is there have you got a, set, a special technique of I don't know, it might be special technique. Yeah, yeah, no, because I know Bookham sort ways, or some people don't actually necessarily use headphones. Or yeah, no, I, I definitely use headphones, but for me, everything just goes in one ear. Yeah. So, like, like if I was to use them headphones that you've got on your head now, like, 
the closed headphone wouldn't be good for me. I need like something that's kind of open and not too tight in my ear, so just all the sound comes in. And I'll have I'll have the headphone kind of slightly off my ear. Yeah. So and is monitoring really important for you as well? So you got some good bass bins underneath the deck. Yeah, um, definitely. The monitor's definitely got to be on the right. I've been to a few places before when they've they've got the monitor just on the left, and because of the tight the, the short delay that it takes to get round to this side can be quite problematic. Yeah. But. Um, you know, it's from birth I've been deaf in my left ear, so it's just something that I've dealt with all my life. It, it doesn't feel like it's a, a disability in any way at all. But it's funny because as I'm getting older and I'm playing out more and more and my ears are taking more and more of a beating, I actually do feel that I need to be so much more careful with it, with it now. to hear that one again Theo Parrish with uh, Mala as chosen by on this podcast um, Theo Parrish you go and see him when you can right yeah I often take take off that that, that date when he's in England to go and hear him play yeah always you know 
you never know what you're going to get with Theo Parrish, but I'm always, you know, always standing, always inspired. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny. I put you in the same category. I think it's great that, um, you know, that there is that connection. It'd be good to see you do music together. You know what? We, I was telling you about when I play at Deep Space with Francois K, and um, not the last time I played, but the time before that, they said, oh, we might not be able to get you to play because we've already got someone playing at night, but if you don't mind playing the first first hour and a half, you can come and play. I said, I'd play anytime, you know? And it was to play with Theo Parrish. And I can't remember what he mixed out of um, one of my tunes into his tunes, but it was just the most random thing. It should never have worked, but it was Theo Parrish, so it, of course it's going to work, you know? And, uh, you know, I got to speak to him that night and just a lovely guy, just, you know, so, so kind of like passionate about what he does. Um, and if I could get anybody to remix one of my tracks straight off my first dance would be Theo Parrish mm. I'd love to do some work yeah I think you guys are made musically for each other I think there's a real similarity in, um, in the ethos and there's not enough of that around I find that's why it's so refreshing to um, to see what you've been up to with the label it's it's totally from the heart there doesn't feel like there's any you're keeping the commercial pressures at bay and do you my, will continue to do so you can only do what you know you know yeah yeah Give me a tip for um, Deep Space because I've got to play there in three weeks. I'm cacking it a little no, bit. I can't give you a no, tip, John. It's Francois. <laughs> it's Francois. I don't know what he's like. He's so serious. He's, like, he's, you know, you can't just turn up there and do your autopilot. You've got to go in deep, right? I mean, it's not really. Is it? When? What was it like for you when you when you played there? I've been lucky. I've played there four times now, and every time I go there, I do feel like like nervous because of the environment that you walk into. But you know what it's like when you when you feel that. That's I find sometimes when you play in a way that you don't normally play. Um, so I often play very different from how I would play if I was playing in London. Um, so you know you, you know how to play. Yeah, I'm just going to just, just go in as low down on the BPMs as possible and build it up slowly. Okay. Nothing worse than starting too have, fast. Have you been in that? Have you been in that place before in the club? Yeah, in I mean Cielo, yeah? I've done it a few times on my own and that's okay, fine. Okay. But I'm in his territory. Okay. And, is he going to be playing as well that yeah, night? Yeah, we're okay. back to back. I think. Okay. Yeah. So um, no, it's always. Brilliant. I've got the effects units out and everything. It's nice because I'll be playing and he will get on like the delay and the reverb. Um, yeah, I love playing at Deep Space, really. Um, what's going on over the next few months for you, apart from... Um, so you're going to put out um, some more music, taking the yeah. Medi thing a bit further? Yeah, definitely. With Deep Medi, you know, with the, the artists on the label, everybody's really looking to experiment this year, not just with 140 tempos, but with all different tempos. So I'm really excited about um, the artists on the label. Um, I only released one record last year myself, so I've got so much music that I'd like to put out and I didn't have a chance to last year. So this year for me is, hopefully it's going to be about releasing more music. Live? Beyond the DJ? Never say never. I'd love to be able to develop something like that in the future. I've got a really busy year ahead of me, a lot of change. Um, so we see what, what, what goes on and cool. how much time I have free, you know. Yeah, well keep sending me stuff. For sure. Getting me stuff. I can't believe you brought so many acetates in here. It smells good in the studio now. It's, uh, it's, it smells good. I want to finish off with uh, Miss Beats track. Tell me a little bit about her because um, this is a big tune right now for me. Miss Beats, she's um, yeah, she's just a 23-year-old Londoner who's just making some seriously good music. Um, what I love about a lot of the, you know, because they're all part of Antisocial, which is part of Quest and Silky and J5 and Henny G. 
something in their sound it, it all kind of connects and they're very I find their stuff is you know they're very musical they've got great sense of um, uh, arrangement in that as well um, and they're different kind of like chord progressions and stuff so uh, Miss Beats I think she's definitely one to, to check for this year because she's writing a lot of good music and just before you go as well I mean things have gone very large for this movement of music whatever however you want to describe it it's going all kinds of different directions on one hand you've got the uh, the Brengers and the Screams who are superstars mashing it up worldwide every weekend <laughs> almost every day probably you know somewhere yeah. or another then unbelievable got, then you've got your Hemlock type of and your Mount Kimby uh-huh. and your Ramadan Man and your Pangeas and Untold that area Joy Orbison area yeah, which yeah. is interesting again of course I mean, when I went to when I went to to Bestival last year, last summer, I was just amazed as to how it had, it had crossed over uh-huh. to regular festival goers. Yeah, yeah. Like drum and bass would okay, have been yeah, ten yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think it's you know the people that are going away every weekend and playing shows. They're partly, you know, they, I think they're not partly, but kind of maybe hugely responsible for for it because and you know same with people playing stuff on radio because people's minds are, are getting you know are understanding the grooves you know it's in, in, you're not just hearing it on pirate radio stations anymore you might hear certain tunes on daytime and radio one for example you know so you know never in a million years do you ever think that what you're involved in is ever going to develop in the way it has but you know I just try and keep strong in what I believe and what I do and I'm just trying to keep moving forward, you know. Yeah, spend as much time in Japan as possible. Oh, I love Japan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll be here for another hour talking yeah, about but it. They were quick on you as well, I mean. Yeah, I first went out there in 2007. Um, um, you always do a tour, you go to, you know, Tokyo, Nagoya, Osaka and you always get some time off maybe to like visit Kyoto or go to like Hakone and go to Onsen the hot springs and stuff you know but I just love Japanese people they're just you know so, so respectful so humble um, Japanese food yeah. what can you say you know oh, and sorry. their attention to the, all this the sound systems in all the clubs are just great yeah. you know really and the engineer sits there all night actually engineering the night yeah. rather than you know a lot of places you go you know, certain men are having a party while they should be working, you know. <laughs> I don't want to be a party people, but if you've got something to do, you've got to get on it, you know. Thanks a lot. We're gonna do we gotta do a gig in Japan together. Alright, let's make that happen. 